Good morning. Chris asked me to kick off. Am I doing something wrong? Okay. Chris asked me to kick off a new series this morning called Core, um, where we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about who we are as Second Baptist Lagrange at our core. Um, and I get to start uh, by talking about how we are people of the Word of God. Um, at our core, more than we do anything else, we base our lives on God's Word. So, um, one of the things that Chris asked me to talk about um, is a Bible study method that I've used for a long time and have taught. I did not create it, definitely ripped it off from other people. Um, it's widely used, um, but it's called REAP. Right, We go to God's word in order to glean things from it, to pull from it the things that are helpful for us. So REAP is an easy way um, to remember the steps that we can take as we approach God's word to study it. Um, I'm going to start, though, before we jump into that. So we're going to talk about the method, and then we're going to workshop a couple of verses. We're going to work through a couple of verses using that Bible study method that Chris asked me to cover, but I'm going to start with a challenge for us. We live in some unusual days, um, just in general, um, but we have available to us a whole lot of resources, more resources about God's word than any other followers of Jesus at any other time in history. There are great podcasts. There is a whole section at Barnes & Noble and you know that it's a unique time, right, when godless companies will make money off of us, right? They, they'll publish a whole bunch of resources just for us. Um, so we tend to trust um, our pastors and other people's pastors who have good podcasts and authors who get a publishing contract and sometimes blog writers and worship song writers, we all have probably a list of some trusted people that we just absorb theology from. And if so-and-so preached it, then that's good enough for me. Um, and there's a lot to um, decision fatigue for us. We have a lot of choices in life. Walk down a cereal aisle one day, it's just dumb. How many choices we have in general. God's word is not intended to be consumed secondhand. Scripture asks us, actually commands us, to love the Lord our God with our minds. And so before we get started this morning, I just want to challenge all of us to engage our brains when it comes to our spiritual lives. That podcasts are wonderful, resources are great, we should avail ourselves of all of them. But the word disciple and the word discipline have the same root. We can't be spiritual couch potatoes and actually run the race that is set before us. So our brains have to be engaged when we come to God's word. So with that in mind, let's talk about the REAP Bible study method. It is like there's this mystery around sitting down with God's word open in front of us by ourselves. We tend to think that maybe we're not smart enough, maybe we don't have the right educations, 
Um, other people understand it better than we do. And I hope that what you come away with today is that that's just not true. Other people do probably understand it better than you do. And yet God in his provision for us as his people has made it consumable for us. So before we sit down or as we sit down to study God's word on our own, in our own living rooms, in our own special chairs, in a coffee shop, wherever you can find a place to do it, it doesn't fit very easily in the acronym, but we need to start with prayer. If this is to be a spiritual endeavor and not an intellectual endeavor, then we have to invite the Holy Spirit into it from the get-go. It has been um, a real benefit to me over the last several years to spend some time with a man who is an Old Testament scholar. Like he reads the Old Testament directly from Hebrew. It's weird. Um, But what has left a profound mark on me is the extent to which he talks about biblical scholars who don't know the Lord. In fact, he goes to, I call it the nerd convention, he goes to this conference every year, and it's, it's actually two different conferences. They always agree to hold them back-to-back on back-to-back days in the same place. One is a conference for biblical scholars who are Christians, and then the following three days will be a conference for biblical scholars who aren't. You can know a whole lot about God's word and not know God. They, they read it out of the original language. They can tell you what um, we've dug up out of the ground to prove certain things geographically about the account in God's word. They can walk through every confusing genealogy and tell you who's related to who and why it's important. And yet, it has not transformed their lives at all. If we're going to sit down with God's word as God's people and actually glean anything out of it that helps us spiritually and not just intellectually, prayer before we begin is the right first step. Scripture tells us, excuse me, um, in John chapter 16, Jesus told his followers that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, He was who was going to lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit that dwells inside us as Jesus followers is who leads us to the truth. So a great way to start our time in God's word is to ask him to do his thing. We have read the Psalms in order to get the gumption to pray this way. Hey, you promised it. You said that you would lead me into truth. And so I'm trusting you to do it right now. This week, while I was studying the passage that we're going to get to a little bit later, I found another verse that I actually love now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy, think about the things that I've said, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As we engage our minds... That, that doesn't automatically only make it an intellectual endeavor, but we, can, we think on the things that Paul wrote in Scripture, think on the things that we're reading about, because the Lord is going to give us understanding in everything. Let's invite him to the process, right? It's not like he isn't already with us. He's there. But let's 
dedicate our time in God's word to him by talking to him ahead of time. Call him on his promises. Ask him to show up. Give us things that we need. We're going to see that in the passage in just a little bit later. So reap. Read, examine, apply, pray. Read the passage, examine it, apply it, pray. We added another one, right? Pray, pray, read, examine, apply, pray. It's good book ends, right? Pray before, pray after. Read. The reason this method is so accessible is because it's very, very, very scalable. You have about two minutes to sit down on a busy weekday while you're trying to get the kids out the door. You can reap a verse or a sentence. Sometimes a verse and a sentence are not the same thing, right? Like at least complete the thought, get to the, get to the period usually. But you, you, can do, you can do one verse at a time. You can read it. You can think about what it means, especially within context. You can apply it. You can pray on your way out the door. But you can also reap entire books of the Bible over long seasons of time. So read, then, is not, this is not the same verb as we use when we read the headlines for the day, when we read a menu at a restaurant, when we skim over whatever the teacher sent home for our kids next whatever at school, right? Um, We just completed a big event out at Camp Tejas where um, lots of people were coming onto our property. And we were every year it's a challenge to figure out how to communicate to people which direction to walk, what to expect when they get there, how to find the event they're looking for, because we collectively don't read. We don't really read signs. We don't really read instructions. We don't we don't really read. We're all capable We just don't do it very well. This is not that. This isn't like a check a box, right? If you're sitting down with God's word in an effort to make sure you do the thing that day you're just kind of supposed to do, then uh, skip it. (laughs) This reading is engaging with the text. This is paying attention to verbs. Are, Are there action words in it? Are there, you know, and you don't have to be a grammar nerd, but... Right, We're engaging with the text. So not just reading to like skim through it and where it's especially dangerous for those of us who were church kids is if you find your place in a text that you've heard like 84 other times or that you've taught at Vacation Bible School. Y'all, the book of Jonah is going to curl your hair when you actually read it because it's not like a morality tale that if you disobey God, then he's going to make a big animal swallow you. That Right, like that's... How we teach it sometimes in Sunday school, it's way more intricate and kind of disturbing than that. It says a lot about God, the book of Jonah does, and not very much about fish. We're, we're engaging the text when we do this reading. Then we examine. The word examine, I just looked it up in the dictionary. It means to inspect in detail, to determine the nature of something, to investigate thoroughly. God's word is an ancient Near Eastern text that was written in three different languages on multiple continents over the course of a long period of time. 
It was written by people in a particular culture to people in a particular culture. And I'm going to wager a bet that you've neither been to any of those places, speak any of those languages, or understand any of those cultures. When you hear someone preaching God's word and they use this sentence, well, it's just right here in black and white. Be suspect. That's, that's like a scary place to start for interpreting this text. Now, God's word is very clear about a lot of things. But on its surface, you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to say. So just reading, just reading it, it's going to bear fruit in your life for sure. But reading it and then examining it, whoo, changes it. Doesn't change what it means. It doesn't change scripture. It changes it in your life. Scripture is scripture. It's always going to be scripture. It's it's sure. It's steady. We're going to see that in the passage we're going to look at. But examining it, it's just y'all. It's beautiful and intricate and it's connected to itself in really beautiful ways compare genesis 1 and 2 to revelation 21 and 22 someday moses wrote genesis john in in ancient hebrew john wrote revelation while he was stranded on a desert island by himself in probably greek and the Y'all, those two passages are parallel to one another in really beautiful ways. You know why? It's the beginning of a story and the end of a story. It's all the same story. And the more you read it, the more you see that it's interconnected with each other, which makes it even more miraculous because it was written by a bunch of different people in several different languages on several different continents. After we examine, we have to apply it. Here, applying application of scripture is super important and also a little bit dangerous. You will hear people refer to the application of scripture as what does it mean for me? That makes us the terminal point of scripture and the reason that it was written, and that's false. The real question of application is why does it matter? Sometimes when we sit down in front of a particular text on a particular day, with a particular set of things going on in our lives, that passage will talk directly to the things that are going on in our lives right then. Some days, though, have you, is anybody in, this is what, day five, right? Is anybody trying to read through the Bible this year? Which means you're probably several chapters into Genesis right now. Um, Hold on through Leviticus. Because good grief. When you get to the end of a couple of reading a couple of chapters in Leviticus and think, why does this matter to my life today? You might be hard pressed for an answer. But why does it matter in the grand scheme of things? It does. It matters. Leviticus says a lot about God. It says a lot about his people. It sets up some guardrails for his people that when you get later in the story are going to matter might be hard on that particular day to find how some of the Levitical laws have a bearing on what you're going to do next in your schedule. We need to apply Scripture, but it's not. It, we cannot come to Scripture with the expectation that every single time we read it, it's just going to 
pierce your heart and change your life and say something very specific for that specific day of your life. It's bigger than that. It's more complex than that. And and here's the ugly secret behind that mindset. That makes us a consumer. If we approach our study of God's word in the same way that we approach the cereal aisle, we're in trouble. Because we can't move from preacher to preacher or translation to translation or skip the Levitical law in order to get to more of Paul's writings because we think we can understand it better or it applies better. The Levitical law has bearing on the things that Paul had to say to his followers. It, It all matters. Paul appeals to the Old Testament. Paul quotes the Old Testament more than he quotes anything else. And he quoted current philosophers and poets of the generation that he was trying to reach. But he quotes the Old Testament more than he quotes anybody else. We, our understanding of Scripture needs to be full and broad and from Genesis to Revelation. And not just the parts that we can like grab on our way out the door and immediately apply. And then prayer Right, We end with prayer in the same way that we began with prayer because we can take the confusing parts to the Lord. We can take the parts that we think we don't like to the Lord. Like if you, if you haven't read something in Scripture yet that you don't like, you might be reading it wrong because it's hard. It's, it's rough sometimes. If it's not convicting to you, you hadn't gotten to the important parts yet. So take that to the Lord. Seems like you want me to spend some time in this book, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't like what this had to say about the, my thought processes or the way that I'm living. So you, you show me what I'm supposed to take from it. So we are, in order to workshop that and I hope get to a deeper understanding of why it's worth our time, we're going to look at a passage of scripture today out of Second Timothy. I already referenced it once, <clears throat> excuse me, but we always need to know the context. And since we're going to jump right into the middle of a book, I'm going to give you some of the context. Second Timothy is the second book that we have recorded in scripture that is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Paul planted a church in Ephesus. And then he took an old friend and a kid that he had watched grow up. Timothy is like the first church kid. Timothy's grandma and mom came to know the Lord, and then they raised Timothy in the faith. Paul was acquainted with grandma and mom, has known Timothy since he was a young kid, has helped disciple him into adulthood. So then the church that Paul planted He left Timothy to pastor. So this is a letter from a man who thinks of himself as a spiritual father to a younger man who's in the ministry. And this whole book, it's only four chapters long. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. There are you're going to come in second Timothy. You're going to come across multiple things that you've seen on like T-shirts and placemats and all the other weird places that we put scripture But that's for a reason. There's a lot of really good little nuggets in 2 Timothy that are encouraging and compelling. Um, 
he talks about, he, he reminds Timothy of the godly family that he came from and how long he's known scripture. He reminds him of his calling. He tells him not to be afraid, which is a good place for us to camp out some. He reminds him of the, the main points of the gospel. He compares Timothy to a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. He uses some good word pictures for what it is to be a Christ follower and especially trying to spread the gospel. And then we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is only 17 verses, and I'm we're going to read the whole thing so you all hang with me. And then we're going to hang out in the last two. Do you have a Bible? For sure, open it. Follow along. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If I was studying the book of 2 Timothy in my time in the Word, then I would have probably started with one day reading the entire book, because it's a short one. And the next day, I would reap all of chapter 1. And the day after that, I would reap maybe the first paragraph in chapter 1. And I would work through chapter 1, paragraph by paragraph, day by day. And then I would reap all of chapter 1 again. And then I would spend a day in all of chapter 2. Then I would do chapter 2, paragraph by paragraph. Sometimes, though, you can depart from that plan when you want to zoom in even farther than a paragraph. So, if I was in the middle of a study of 2 Timothy, I would have already reaped one day all through 2 Timothy chapter 3. 17 verses, you can read it in just a few minutes, we just did. So, that, so I would write in a journal, probably, under the R, I would write 2 Timothy 3. And under the E, I would see what kind of piqued my interest in there. Is there anything I want to look up? Is there anything that I think stuck out? Um, 
Are there any repeated words? Are there any repeated actions? One way to start um, with examining um, is with the five W's and the H. Y'all remember being trained how to write a good um, report in school? Who, what, when, where, why, how? Just answer those questions, right? That's just a good, like, baseline reading comprehension thing. If I can answer all those questions, then I know I really, I really read it. I know what's going on in the text. But then, after going paragraph by paragraph, I might would want to zoom in. So today we're going to zoom in just on the last two verses. These last two verses are a complete thought, and it, they divide very well into individual phrases. So that's what we're going to do. All scripture is breathed out by God. Let's examine that. Once we've studied scripture for a little while, right? I keep saying that it's all interconnected. There are repeated themes. There are repeated, um, there's repeated symbols and imagery. uh, There's a lot that's common to scripture all the way through. And the more you study it, the more those things come to mind. All scripture is breathed out by God made me immediately think of other times that God's breath has been mentioned. In Genesis chapter 2, as God pushes together a big lump of clay to form Adam, the very first human, you know what he did to make Adam come alive? He breathed on him and into him, into his nostrils, is what it says. God's breath animated human life and these words. Another time that breath is mentioned is in the Gospels when Jesus is sending his disciples out to do ministry. He's telling his disciples, he's dividing them up two by two, he's telling them to always go with a friend and telling them how to bring the Gospel to people in villages that haven't heard it yet. And then after he gives instructions, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. So now we have God the Father breathing human life into existence. God the Son breathing the power of the Spirit onto his followers and him breathing these words. All scripture is breathed out by God. Well, what do we know from scripture about God's breath? It's powerful. It's reliable. It brings life. It gives us the power to do ministry, to say words that might feel awkward. Right? He's looking at these guys, telling them to walk into neighborhoods where people don't know the gospel. Convert them. Go, go tell them about what you have found. Well, that's a little weird. Oh, but then he breathes on them. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable. We don't need to do any Greek word studies on this one. You don't need a commentary. You don't. What does profitable mean? It always gives you back more than you put in. If you had someone that you trusted who came to you and said, I have an opportunity for this financial investment, And it is guaranteed to give you back more than you put in. What would you sacrifice to get get in on that? 
I'm not talking about giving up a latte or two. We would flat fast for days if we needed to come up with the cash to invest in a sure thing. It's a sure thing. You're not ever going to spend time in God's word as a spiritual pursuit, not an intellectual one, where you're not going to get back more than you put in. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Put a little bit on the table. See what comes back. You got five minutes? Great. You got a lot longer? Fantastic. Our mindset, though, is that what we might be being asked to sacrifice in order to spend time in God's word is sleep. Right? Because the first thing you think is, well, I'm supposed to do this in the morning, which isn't actually true. You can make a decent argument for it, but it's not set in stone that you can only do it in the morning. But if I have to set the alarm at 5 instead of 6, I just don't. I'm, I'm tired. I can't. I can't. What we need to think of, though, is not that we're, what we're being asked to sacrifice is sleep. What you're actually sacrificing, what you ought to be sacrificing, is what you're doing between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. I'm going to bet that Jimmy Fallon or Candy Crush or Netflix or whatever it is that's going on from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. isn't going to pay you back as much as what you might could accomplish between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. in God's Word. Why? Because it's profitable. God's not asking you to go on less sleep than you already go on. He's asking you to invest your time more wisely. For that matter, how much time during the day, right, right, I've been listening to some podcasts, reading some things. I work with college students out at the camp a lot. And their generation, perhaps more than ours, but we're catching on. Um, When we're bored, right, this generation hasn't ever experienced boredom. They're not comfortable with it. And so when we're bored, we pull out our smartphones and we crush candy or we troll Facebook or we see what's going on on Twitter or we look for a recipe or shoot off an email, whatever we do, right? Um, You have an app or you should have an app. You can have an app on that same phone that's God's word. You got 10 minutes in the carpool lane? This is profitable. Candy Crush, not so much. Amazon, not so much. Profitable. This is profitable. While we're on the subject of having an app on your phone, it's great, right? Same thing as having podcasts available and a whole section at Barnes & Noble available. We have a lot of resources. And the fact that there are multiple Bible apps where you can do Greek word studies is great, What we have to be very, very, very careful about is thinking of the Bible app and what we read there in similar ways to what's on Fox News or CNN or Facebook or any of the other things that we have available on that little device. It's why I think we should all do the majority of our studying through a physical copy. It's weighty when it sits on your lap. It's different 
than everything else that's on your phone. Don't let it get washed in with every other app that you use every day. It's great that we can have an app. Use the app. But it's, it's not the same as other apps. It's God-breathed. It's profitable. It's God-breathed. It's profitable. And it's profitable for some specific things. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This sounds like an intimidating list, but it's actually super helpful. Has anyone ever felt like you couldn't be a student of God's word because you just didn't know enough? Guess what the answer is, God's word. Because it teaches. It's profitable for teaching. You can learn stuff here. The stuff that you say you want to know. Right? We're all kind of liars because we say like, oh, I wish I knew more about scripture. But then we don't spend any time in scripture. Scripture teaches us. It's profitable for teaching. You're always going to get more out than you put in. It's profitable for teaching. And then look at this list. Reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Y'all, this is is so helpful. You ready? Reproof, pointing out what you're doing wrong. Correction, showing you how to do it better. Training and righteousness, keeping you from ever doing it again. This list tells us that the more time we spend in God's word, the better we understand the God-breathed, powerful words that are in these pages the less we're going to sin. Because these words are profitable for showing us what we're doing wrong, telling us how to do it correctly, and then teaching us to not ever do it again. Training in righteousness. You can sin less the more time you spend in God's Word. It's right there. Then it tells us why. Why? That the person of God may be complete says the man of God may be complete. Here's an important little caveat. So um, blue letter Bible, I think, dot org. Um, women especially look at me. Men, this matters to you too, but to us a little bit more. In our English translations, sometimes when the word man appears, it means the male gender of the human race. Sometimes when the word man appears, it just means all of humanity. And knowing what you're reading about is important. So what I used, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I used blueletterbible.org, and I looked up this verse, and I clicked on the tools thing, and I went down to where it lists every Greek word that was translated into these English words. Um, And so the Greek word that Paul wrote down in his letter to Timothy that is translated to the English word man actually means all humans. That's important. As we come to this passage of scripture to know that he's talking about us too. But now let this sink in a little bit. Paul, a man, is writing to Timothy, a man. He's talking about the importance of Timothy studying God's word. But he gets to this part and he uses the word for all humans. It's pretty impactful, right? Shows us that. God really did have us in mind when he inspired some of these God-breathed words that were written down by human hands. Biblical scholars debate all the time about what it means that the words are God-breathed. 
Bottom line is they're from him. And women, we're included in this promise. All scripture is profitable for all those things we just talked about. Show us how to do life correctly so that we can be complete. You ever have the thought that you got some empty spots? There's there's just some places that we don't talk about at parties. These words make up for what is lacking, which, by the way, is one of the definitions of complete. You can't complete something that's already whole and good, right? It's already complete. If these words correct us and train us and teach us so that we can be complete, it fills up what you're like. You ever have a task in front of you that you think, I just can't? I feel that way about parenting a lot. I just, there's just no way I can, I I just don't have what's, I don't have it in me to do what the Lord's put in front of me. The whole right, he won't give you anything you can't handle. That's actually none in here. Um, He gives me things that I can't handle all the time. But his word completes me. That the man or woman, the person of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. We use the word equipped when we talk about people and it becomes kind of nebulous a little bit. Like it's a, it's an abstract thing to talk about equipping people. So one of the things that is helpful when we're examining God's word is to bring things that are abstract to solid ground, to concrete, to physical. What's equipment? If you take a group of nine kids and put them out in the middle of a field, You can't call them a baseball team until there's at least one ball. It'd be helpful for there to be some bases and a bat and some gloves, maybe a chalk line or two, a pitcher's mound. The more equipment you add, the more prepared they are to be what they're supposed to be. Take a follower of Jesus, put us out on the street without God's word. Mm. Can't quite get there. It equips us for every good work. One of the things that they keep telling us about um, people who are about 40 and under, I think it's true of like all humans, it's just part of the human condition, that we want to do meaningful things with our lives. I think it's true for all of us, but especially of the younger people coming up behind us. They want for their work to be meaningful. You know what Paul says to another group? of believers that he writes to in Ephesians, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared ahead of time for us to do. The good, meaningful work, the good, meaningful things for you to do, they're ready. They're prepared, they're planned, they're laid out in front of you. You know what gets you ready for the works that are already ready? God's Word. Because Scripture is profitable to train us in righteousness so that we can be complete and equipped when those opportunities come. 
Scripture tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness, primarily this. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to know the difference between a concordance and a commentary. You don't have to subscribe to just the right podcast. Know exactly what website to use. You, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which is a key ingredient, can sit down with an ancient Near Eastern text, appeal to the Holy Spirit that lives in you to lead you to righteousness, engage your mind, examine the text, and you can come out literally a better human. Everything you need to do the good things that he's already planned for you to do. Setting your alarm for five instead of six has the potential to make your life more meaningful. And isn't that what we're all looking for? What if the legacy that we all left to our kids and our grandkids was not where we donated money or how we vacationed or how we taught them whatever we tend to think is the most important. What if the legacy that we left for the generation behind us was just that they saw us with our Bibles on our laps a lot? That, that would do it. That would do it. Because it, it's God-breathed. It's profitable. So then, application real quick. I came up with a few things that I would have applied Right, the, These whole two verses are about God's word, so we learned that it's worth the time. We learned that it helps me to know how to live. We learned that it fills in the empty places, and then it gives me what I need to do meaningful work. If I was sitting down by myself looking at these two verses, that's after studying this week, that's what I would have written down. Now let's pray. God, thank you for Scripture. Thank you that um, in what can only be described as a miraculous way, you have taken an ancient Near Eastern text written from and to cultures that I do not understand, and you use it to complete me. In the places where I feel empty, you put yourself in the form of your word. In the ways that I don't know how to do what is right, you gently correct and you train me to be righteous. And in the the good works that you have prepared ahead of time for me to do, you use your word to give me what I need to get to do them. Thank you, Lord. You are greatly to be praised. You have provided for us Um, through your word in ways that we can't fully comprehend or understand, but we want to trust you in them. So, Lord, I think regular life after the holidays starts for everybody tomorrow. So, would you give us the discipline, not just to set the alarm clock differently, but to pay attention to what goes on tonight? 
God, HEB is going to have lunch meat on sale today. Everybody's going to be getting ready. And what we need to do is go to bed on time. Because the ways that we invest early in the morning, they're profitable. Lord, would you show us how it's true? In your name, amen.